Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things books and pop culture. My name is Zachariah, and I will be joined, as always, by my fabulous co-host, Michaela. Say hi, Michaela. Hi, Michaela. As a reminder, new episodes of Pages Unknown air every Wednesday. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts, as well as on TikTok and Instagram under the name Pages Unknown. If you find yourself enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. On today's episode, we will be discussing the incredible book, Legendborn, by Tracy Dion. This book is very popular on Book Talk and with good reason. It's a reimagination of Arthurian legend with one of the most incredible protagonists I've read in forever. But more than that, it is a story about Black ancestral lineages and a Black woman's reclamation of space in a predominantly white world. We tried to write our own synopsis, and every time we turned around, it felt like we were including a spoiler, and we're trying really hard not to include spoilers. So for those of you who have not read this or have not heard of the book, I'm going to read the back of the paperback version that I got from Barnes & Noble. It starts, Some legacies are meant to be broken. After her mother dies in an accident, 16-year-old Bree Matthews wants nothing to do with her family memories or childhood home. A residential program for bright high schoolers at UNC Chapel Hill seems like the perfect escape, until Bree witnesses a magical attack her very first night on campus. A flying demon feeding on human energies, a secret society of so-called legend-born students that hunt these creatures down, and a mysterious teenage mage who calls himself a Merlin and who attempts and fails to wipe Bree's memory of everything that she saw. The mage's failure reveals Bree's own unique magic in a buried memory with a hidden connection. The night her mother died, another Merlin was at the hospital. Now that Bree knows there's more to her mother's death than what's on the police report, she'll do whatever it takes to find out the truth, even if that means infiltrating the Legendborn as one of their initiates. She recruits Nick, a self-exiled Legendborn, with his own grudge against the group, and their reluctant partnership pulls them deeper into the society secrets and closer to each other. But when the Legendborn reveal themselves as the descendants of King Arthur's knights and explain that a magical war is coming, Bree has to decide how far she'll go for the truth and whether she should use her magic to take the society down or join the fight. I don't know about y'all, but just hearing the synopsis, I get so excited. I, I really love this book, but before I get into really the episode here... Michaela, I would love to hear your reactions after finishing the book. I am absolutely obsessed with this book. I don't think I could make it any clearer than me saying I'm in love with these characters. I'm in love with this story. I thought it was absolutely fabulous from start to finish. I have always been very interested in Arthurian legend, and I Mm -hmm. watch pretty much all of the media that surrounds King Arthur and his (laughs) knights, particularly the BBC show titled Merlin. Not only did I watch Mm -hmm. that show, I read several fan fictions based around that television show for (laughs) Arthur and Merlin. So I was pretty excited about this premise, but it blew me out of the water. Uh, It defied Mm -hmm. all my expectations. I truly feel very connected to these characters. I loved them all so much. Mm -hmm. And I felt as though the writing style that Tracy Dion is using is so easily understood. You just fall into the world. I, could, mm-hmm. I don't think I could have enjoyed it more if, if I tried. What did you think, Zachariah? I, as I said on TikTok, Tracy Dion, known listener of the podcast, I need you to know <laughs> this was a sleigh. <laughs> I know I said it, but like it, it really was. Brie, the main character, and we'll get into the characters, obviously, but Brie, every time she turned around, I was, I was like, yes, 
get his ass. Go. <laughs> I was so excited to see everything that she was talking about. But the other thing that I really liked, these characters are super fleshed out without being like overly wrought, right? All of these characters, you understand their motivations. There is a lot of info dumping that happens, but I love that. Some people would rather it be spread out, I understand. I love the info dumping and like lore dumps that happen throughout this book. I feel like they were very necessary and it was flowing really, really well. The interactions of the characters also felt super natural. Um, Haha, they were super natural, but also they felt like just very easy. It also felt like kids. Sometimes YA characters can feel like adults in 14-year-old bodies. This felt like, oh no, they're making decisions that a 16-year-old would make. And I really liked that. I loved the setting as well. I absolutely agree. I feel like the exposition was fantastic. It felt very natural. It didn't Mm -hmm. feel forced. And I just really wanted to get involved with the world Mm -hmm. right away. Saying that, let's introduce you to some of the characters. So we have our main character, Bree Matthews, who has reset the tone for how I think people should approach female fantasy leads. She Mm -hmm. is strong, she's tough, but she's also very sensitive and vulnerable. And she's so communicative Mm -hmm. of all of her feelings. I really was impressed with her emotional intelligence, which probably comes from being forged in a very whitewashed area. So we have Brie Matthews. She's like we said, she's enrolled in this early student program. And she enrolls with her best friend, Alice, who I love so much. Mm -hmm. Alice is like such a little sweetheart, but also... So honest. Something we don't see a lot in books like this between female characters is a degree of honesty and a friendship that holds the other person accountable Mm. for their actions. Alice doesn't let Brie get away with anything. You know, Brie's mother has just passed. She's dealing with her grief not so well, understandably. Not at all. (laughs) Yeah. And she's going through all this stuff. And Alice calls her out and says, you're not giving Mm -hmm. enough to this friendship. You're not prioritizing my feelings here. You're not acknowledging my feelings here. And worst of all, you're betraying the trust that we share. I thought that Mm -hmm. was incredible. What a fantastic way of showing female friendship. I absolutely love it. Alice also, I I immediately connected with Alice because it feels like through doing what you just described, I think people will read her as a teetotaler, like a goody two shoes or whatever. And I absolutely know what it feels like to want to be Brie, but actively be Alice. (laughs) And (laughs) I just really liked Alice's character. So then we move down to, as we said in the synopsis, this is an Arthurian retelling. So let's move down to our knights. We have Nicholas Davis. We have Selwyn Kane, our king's mage. We have William, who I love. I'm obsessed. That's my he's husband. He's fantastic. I know. He's fantastic. I <laughs> absolutely husband, adore him. Period. <laughs> we have a lot of other cast of characters in here, some more important than others. We just wanted to touch mm-hmm. on the big ones and really talk about them and their relationships. I will say, since we've mentioned William here, and I honestly don't know that I would consider William like the top five main cast, but like without William, a lot of this story cannot happen. Absolutely. And it's like this weird linchpin that you don't don't kind of realize until later. Bree's the inquisitive mind that's trying to figure out all the things that we're talking about. William is not trying to withhold information, but just slowly divulges it, matter of fact, to her. And this is not a spoiler either. It just that's how it happens. I absolutely agree with you, Zachariah. William is not overall important to the plot, but he is integral to the reader. He is the tool of exposition here. He goes through and introduces Mm -hmm. you to the world 
in a way that feels very natural to the story while also giving you the information that you need to understand what's going mm-hmm. on, which I think is a fantastic character trope and a one that's very difficult to write, by the way. Mm-hmm. Now, in your synopsis and in my introduction of these characters, I did mention knights and Arthurian mm-hmm. legend. So let's dig into that just a little bit. Mm-hmm. First of all, for those of you who might not be familiar with Arthurian legend, the knights that we're talking about are King Arthur, Sir Lancelot, Sir Tristan, Sir Lamorak, Sir Kay, Sir Owain, Sir Bors, Sir Gawain, and mm-hmm. Merlin, the king's advisor, his mage. He's a wizard, mm-hmm. if you don't know, <laughs> in the original retelling. <laughs> not In this one, it's a little bit different. The magic system's a little different, which we will get into. All of these knights are part of this kind of secret society that we've mentioned here previously that Brie kind of stumbles into. And so the characters that were kind of, we named a few of them, are descendants of these knights. William, as we talked about, introduces us to this world and kind of talks about how they're all connected to Brie. So Brie discovers the secret society and then William says, actually, here's what's up. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to lie to you, babe. Here you go. It's very cool to see all of the other characters that are introduced and figure out kind of which descendants they are. There's like a ranking system inside of this secret society. So as we are talking about some of these characters, there's a hierarchy inside of this society. And there there are scions, which are like living descendants of these Knights of the Round Table that are between the ages of 16 and 22. After that, below that, there is their squire. So every scion has a squire, so like their partner in battle. And then they have pages, or individuals who are trying to compete and become squires in their own right. Then you have these other kind of things, like obviously we mentioned Merlins, that's like the mage that they have. That's very powerful and protects the chapter. You have vassals, which are like individuals from outside of the order, that they don't have like these powers that these people do, but they're connected in some way, like powerful individuals who happen to know things. So that's called vassals. Some vassals can become pages, et cetera, et cetera. Something else to note about this book, we are dealing with a fantasy here with a female protagonist. Mm-hmm. So we are going to look into the trope of a love triangle. We're not going to say who's involved in it just yet. We don't want to divulge any spoilers. <laughs> but I will say... This can be such a make or break for a fantasy Mm. novel and specifically for a protagonist. We've talked about how much we love Brie, how strong she is, but we've seen Mm -hmm. this before where a strong female character gets a little bit too big in the britches and suddenly it's the I'm not like other girls vibe. And particularly that goes hand in hand with love triangles. Not in this book, folks. (laughs) This is like the best written love triangle I've read since... I don't even know when. <laughs> I don't know when because she's not a manic pixie dream girl. She's nope. not like a pick me girl nope. where she's, you know, I'm so different from other girls. I'm I'm Jennifer Lawrence, whatever. Like it's none of it's none of that nonsense. <laughs> Actually, I think the last good book I read with a love triangle like this was Clockwork Princess by Cassandra Clare. And it's like the only book mm. series by Cassandra Clare that's like actually decent. <laughs> <laughs> no tea, no shade. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. I don't think I've ever read a Cassandra Clare book, so maybe I'll just keep it that way. This love triangle doesn't define Brie. Her relationships do not define her. She defines Mm -hmm. herself. That is made clear very early on. I was obsessed Mm -hmm. with her strength and her willingness to be vulnerable. 
And something that really, really frustrated me when we finished this book and we started looking into reactions from people online to sort of gauge what the overall consensus was, I saw so many creators talking about how obsessed they are with Cell and these these male characters, these male mm-hmm. leads, and decentering Brie from her own story. It's ridiculous. Stop it. We have this female African-American protagonist who is literally discovering her lineage. She is looking into her ancestors. Do not belittle her to just the relationships that she has in a romantic sense. Stop mm-hmm. it. That made me so mad. And I wanted to shine a light on the fact that Brie doesn't need any of these people. She is absolutely not standalone, a beautiful character who is not defined by her relationships to men. Stop being so obsessed with the, you know, the raven haired emo boy. Focus on (laughs) Brie. That was just something that really bothered me. I will say the thing that does define Brie in a lot of ways is just what, and one of the words you just said, you said standalone. She is actively the one of a, of a something in every room she goes in, whether it's a room full of men, a room full of white people, just every single time she is the only one in the room. And so that's the story that I think people need to take away from this. Like, even when magic exists, you may still be the only black girl in the room. This was on uh, blacknerdproblems.com and they did like a full kind of collection of reviews on this. You feel it in all of these pages where she actively is either addressing the room or the room is addressing her. You can feel this oppressive force. You can feel this tension at all times. The other reason that I love Brie is not not just because she handles these situations so beautifully, she's vulnerable with people in a way that I think makes me feel jealous. I wish I could be as vulnerable as Brie has been. And we've mentioned that previously here, but her mother has passed and the circumstances that are around it are very mysterious and have kind of been hidden from her and many others. But she also doesn't know anything about her mom's mom or her great-grandmother, et cetera, et cetera. That is the experience that many Black individuals have talked about over the course of the entirety of the United States existing as a country. And she's like forcing people to acknowledge it and unpack it while she's also unpacking shit. It's just, it's multi-layered. Tracy Dion, you really fucking did that. I love this character. I talked about it with my therapist. This book has really just done a lot. But I just wanted to make sure I mentioned why I loved Brie so much as we're talking about how it relates to this entire situation that she's found herself in inside of a weird secret society that has to save the planet. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot going on here. (laughs) She's dealing with a lot personally and also trying to save the world, literally. Mm -hmm. But you're right about this love triangle. I think it's done really well. It doesn't define any one of the characters. A lot of the time with love triangles, you see a sort of jealousy erupt. There is a hierarchy of people and you almost feel like everyone is playing each other. Mm -hmm. There's none of that here. This is just three people who really deeply care about each other and who love each other Mm -hmm. and who will, when necessary, prioritize each other. And it turns into something romantic in a way. I mean, they're young teenagers. It's just very sweet. Mm -hmm. And I felt like where, you know, we've seen the Katniss, Peeta, Gale stuff Mm -hmm. happening. All of these love triangles collapse the friendship that was the foundation. That's Mm -hmm. not the case here. 
their mm-hmm. foundation of friendship and their foundation of love for each other remains the strongest part of their relationship. Everything else is just secondary to that. And they all understand it. Mm-hmm. It was really very beautiful. I actually want to say, before we move away from this, the characters and all the setting, I do want to say that Tracy Dion does this thing that you and I both love, Michaela, where she just mentions characters, gender identity, and sexual orientation as matter of fact. And it's just casual in its inclusivity in the book here. You've got a non-binary character, a lesbian character, two bisexual characters, a gay character, and a queer couple. And they're just, as I said, mentioned in a matter of fact kind of way. It's lovely. I love when authors just go ahead and just state it as that's what it is. And there's really no discussion around it. There's no pushback around it from any of the other characters, really. I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that to like people listening, like, hey, there's a lot of stuff happening in this book. I do want to talk about the magic system. Yes. I really, really like this. It's so, so cool. Oh, it's so cool. So it's called Aether. And it's a it's one of the five elements in the world. Fire, water, wind, earth, and aether. <laughs> the fire nation attacked. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You've got root work in here, which is where you can ask to use and borrow aether from people who came before you, your ancestors. You've got blood craft, as it is called by some people in here, where you just take the aether. You just take it. And at some point, there will be a debt that is owed. And this is a really big part of the difference between how different groups of people think about Aether in general. Bloodcraft and root work to me are allegories with bloodcraft being colonialism, Mm -hmm. where you come in and you take and you take and you take and you give nothing back. With root work being more naturally based, where it's ask request and you shall receive. It has to come from somewhere and something has to be given for it. And what was really poignant about root work to me, when Brie witnesses root work for Mm -hmm. the first time, she notes the difference between bloodcraft and root work Mm -hmm. in that root work can't heal all the way. The magic is being used to heal someone who's Mm -hmm. severely, severely injured, and it doesn't heal them all the way. Where bloodcraft blink and it's fixed. And she notes this and she says, well, why don't you just do it this way? So she's fully healed. Mm -hmm. This person is still injured. And the discussion becomes, Mm -hmm. it has to come from somewhere. The plants around this person who's using root work have, have withered. She has taken what she can and given it to someone else and she can take no more. Where bloodcraft has no such compunctions and no respect for the natural order of things. I thought that was a really cool allegory for the bigger themes. Yeah. I think another thing to mention here is that there are other things that people can do with it that don't necessarily mean like creating a set of armor, a a sword or a mace out of it. Some people are able to talk to their ancestors or to hear thoughts of others or like know someone's connection to someone else. They're able to literally walk through someone else's memories. It's a really cool magic system. As it goes on, though, you kind of understand more of the nuance about how the different players, I'm going to say, in this game think about this. Some of the people inside of this secret society are just accepting of certain rules and things that have to be given up because of their use of it. I'm not I'm not trying to spoil anything here. Yeah, we're being as vague as possible. <laughs> I'm being so vague and so specific at the exact same time. <laughs> there is a cost and these are quite young people. And that is all I will say about anything else on that. I do think that's a great way to talk about it, because in this book, there is this cast of characters called the Ruling Council. Mm -hmm. 
And they are essentially these mysterious individuals who are there to keep the bloodlines intact. And they Mm -hmm. maintain various chapters of the order. They're the law keepers. They're the HOA, essentially, is how I was reading them. (laughs) Not the HOA. (laughs) That's how I read them. And Bree is sort of unlocking all of this other stuff that they don't (laughs) understand. And it scares a lot of them. Yeah. Her just being there, her presence is deviating from the norm. And now she's doing these other things that are like, well, we've never done it that way. We know, dude. We absolutely Mm. know. We get it. When you pick up this book and you sink your teeth into it, you're going to understand that this secret society feels kind of like cotillion or like country club kind of esque societies that exist or like moms are kind of put into this role of being a busybody and like the the men control the thing and like the firstborn son and blah, 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 all of that nonsense. Uh, we don't even want to get into how the order of children uh, inside of this society matters as well. There's like there's so many layers and so many bad things that have been done, but I think that's actually a really good point, especially because we've talked about how communicative Brie is. Brie wears her feelings on her Mm -hmm. sleeve, and the most poignant feeling that permeates this entire story is grief. She Mm -hmm. doesn't shy away from the fact that she is actively grieving not only the loss of her mother, but because of the things her mother didn't tell Mm -hmm. her when she was alive, she's grieving that she'll never know about her grandparents, about her grandmother, about her great-grandmother. We've talked about these matrilineal lines at the beginning of this episode, how important and integral they are to so many people's identities. And Brie is grieving it the whole time. And it felt like Given that we had just read Wintering by Catherine May, which discusses grief Mm -hmm. and the importance of feeling it, Brie embodies wintering. She's actively wintering in this Mm -hmm. book. And it was a really cool little connection to draw. Absolutely. Uh, having read both these in such close succession. We're just talking about the depth of trauma Mm -hmm. and how you can grieve for things that you don't even know. She never met her grandmother, but she can grieve for her. She never met her great-grandmother, her Mm great-great-great-grandmother. These women who forged her, she is a result of the women in her Mm -hmm. life. And I think that that was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. It made me a little emotional just to be like, I did my ancestry DNA and I was able to go back like 15 generations. That's amazing. It's very cool. It's a very privileged and special thing that I, that is there. She's really, as you're saying, she has, she's processing all of it at the same time. I think slowly some of the other characters are starting to understand a little bit of like their own blocks that they are having. And that they're going to have moving forward with within the society of what they're being forced to give up really without fully informed consent about what they are giving up. They're going to start kind of going through some of these same stages of grief. Brie had to knock down these walls in order to access some of this understanding of the powers we've described. Yeah. And I think that the way in which that she communicates her feelings internally and mm-hmm. externally, how she talks to herself is as important, mm-hmm. if not more important than how she's talking to other characters yeah. about these topics, about her grief. And oh, it made me so emotional. There are a couple chapters in which we get to, through Bree's eyes, look mm-hmm. at her ancestors and experience certain turbulent times in their lives I, yeah. I was crying. It was such a beautiful connection of women 
and the strength of, oh, see, I'm, I'm getting emotional again. I can't talk about women without getting emotional because I love women so much. <laughs> women. I just women. Ugh, I just can't get over it. Tracy Dion has written a book like for like for black audiences, specifically for black women. And I feel like anybody can really get something out of this. Literally anyone. I truly when I was looking at TikToks and watching people's reviews uh, of this book to just check in on, you know, get a temperature check on how people were feeling. The amount of mm-hmm black creators that said they could finally see themselves represented mm-hmm. in a character i was like oh mm-hmm. this is just so beautiful and i wish it wasn't as special as it is yeah. you know i wish that was just the norm absolutely y'all need to go buy this book she, tracy dion is really intentional throughout this entire book like everything that she has done in here has been really really intentional i do want to talk about one thing that you and i brought up briefly during our prep session This book, if it was any other kind of book in any kind of sense, right, it would be considered found family. This would be considered the found family trope, how everybody kind of finds each other. They're all on like a shared mission in some ways. But since Brie is like the only one of something every time she walks in a room, this really can't fully fit that found family. She doesn't really truly feel like she's found complete whole family throughout this book. Absolutely. I mean, that's... Brie doesn't feel like she fits in. And it doesn't matter, you know, these characters are constantly telling her, most of them at least, a few are not telling her this. They're telling her the opposite. Most of these characters are telling her, you belong here. We want you here. Yep. This is where you fit. But she doesn't feel Mm -hmm. it. She acknowledges that it's kind of them to include her, but she never quite feels comfortable in this space. Mm -hmm. I think that is going to be explored a lot more in Bloodmarked, this sort of feeling of not belonging. But it disallows us from really identifying this as a found family trope because of that level of discomfort. And that is such Mm -hmm. an interesting way to continuously talk about racism. She's very honest. She will not pull her punches. She's blunt to a a T. (laughs) I love it. Well, she no, she's honest. She's like, hey, just because you have these unpacked, uh, internalized racist monologues does not mean that I need to bear the brunt of it myself. She's making people do the work. And I really admired that throughout this book. There are many other creators and folks out there much smarter than us who talk about racism in a way that is much more digestible and much more (laughs) informed and intelligent than what we're doing. So Zechariah, as you know, the last question we like to ask ourselves Mm -hmm. when we know we're going to be recording an episode is, who would I recommend this book to? Fantasy readers. That's the first one. Absolutely. I mean, it's at its core, just a good fantasy book. But who else? Well, folks who are, as we've said, folks who are looking to diversify their TBRs. I also would probably recommend this to my young cousin, who is 15. Mm -hmm. I know that if I had read this book when I was in high school, I would have loved it just as much as I do now as a 28-year-old. So I would probably recommend it to young fantasy readers who are dipping their toe into a new genre and trying to find some really cool and fun things to read that are also poignant and will stick with you. I really feel like I want to recommend this to a lot of folks, obviously. We read a lot of books throughout the year, and 
sometimes when we think about one we want to put on the podcast, we either really disliked it and we want to talk about why, or we really liked it and we want to kind of unpack it like we've done here. This is one of the ones where I think it's going to stick with me for quite some time. There are a couple of bad books that have stuck with me for quite some time that I don't want to mention, but Tracy Dion has like done the thing. And I cannot wait to read the second one. I know. Um, we are going to do an episode about Bloodmarked. We both own a signed <laughs> copy that we bought from Barnes and Noble. <laughs> we were going to put it in this one, but we wanted to give each one kind of its own little time to kind of unpack it. These are a little chonky also. And you know, we're reading 14 books at the same time. So, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Please keep an eye out for episode two. We're going to try to release that maybe April or May. You'll We'll post about it. We'll let y'all know when that one's going to be coming out. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy Pages Unknown as a podcast, please feel free to leave us a review or a star rating. They really, really do help. You can also follow us over on Goodreads to see what we'll be reading next. Bunch of good stuff. So keep, uh, keep an eye on our space here. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Bye.